that the Lord would speak to us, so let's hear his word now. And the readings from Mark chapter 10, from verse 32 to 45, page 1015 if you've got a church Bible. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, let me confess up front that a lot of the material for this um, series has been taken uh, from a, this book by John Hindley, which I was reading while I was away on a holiday. Uh, it's called Serving Without Sinking, and the subtitle is How to Serve Christ and keep your joy. And the book opens with a description of some imaginary characters. Let me uh, share these um, with you. And uh, these bear no resemblance to anybody here who may have the same name, Um, but um, these are the names used in the book. Uh, Martin began to relax as he walked home from church. His work was finished. He'd opened up, sorted out the chairs, done the children's talk, and cleared away afterwards. He felt free. He'd done his duty, and now the rest of the day was his. He could relax and enjoy himself. What a wonderful feeling. Sophie had been running the children's holiday club at church. It had been exhausting, and the clear-up had finished her off. Just as she collapsed onto the sofa, the phone rang. It was a guy from church. Could she get the bread for communion the next morning? It would only be a ten-minute walk. She said, yes, of course, but inside she was seething, furious with, well, with Jesus. She'd been serving him all week. She'd been the only one who stayed behind to clear up. Everyone else was relaxing at home. She had to go and get the bread. Couldn't he give her a break? David really loved his new church. The harvest supper had been great. He was starting to make friends. Afterwards, the pastor asked him to help put some stage blocks back in the storage loft. 
He joined a group of guys lifting them in. It was great fun and a good laugh. And afterwards, the pastor thanked him for being an example of joyful service. David went home praising God. He liked serving Christ. He was going to enjoy being part of this church. And finally, Brad. Brad had been a student for three years when it all clicked. The minister was preaching on God's love, and particularly God's love in dying for those who are so flawed. Something happened that night in his heart, and he knew that all he wanted to do was serve him. He fixed up a meeting the next day with a minister and told him he wanted to spend his life serving Jesus, and that he wanted help to get started. Well, I don't know if you can relate to any of those um, people, whether now or um, maybe at some stage in, in your life, whether their attitude is similar to, to yours. Maybe you can remember a time when you did have a real joy in serving. But maybe now it has become a bit of a, bit of a duty, a bit of a, a burden, something you know you just have to do because that's what Christians do. We're told that serving should be a joy. We're told that when we go to Jesus, he uh, takes our, our burdens, he gives us rest. But it doesn't really feel like that. In fact, it feels like being a Christian just brings extra burdens on top of all the rest of the burdens of life. The burden of, of having to give your time, your energy, your money, your service. Well, before we get into the joy of serving, we need to spend a little bit of time just clearing the ground, looking at what is our motivation for serving? What is our purpose in serving? Because if we've got that motivation wrong, then we will inevitably experience some frustration at one time or another. Our frustration just won't affect ourselves. It will also affect um, those around us, whether it's our family, our friends, our colleagues, our fellow believers. If we're talking about the free gift of forgiveness, the, the love of Christ, but living as though we are working for some hard taskmaster who's never satisfied, then we won't be effective witnesses for Christ because we've portrayed a false impression of him. So what are some of the, uh, the wrong motivations then for serving the first one of those I want to mention this evening is to be good enough for Jesus. Now, if we're Christians here this evening, we will know that we are forgiven. We are made right with God because Jesus died for us. We know that he's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. And he will return one day to take us to be with him. But we're also told in passages like 1 Peter 1 this, we're told as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Then we hear reports about the refugees. We read passages like Matthew 25 about looking after the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, those in prison. And we start to worry about, actually, are we really saved? Maybe we feel we need to make sure that we're good enough to continue to earn his forgiveness and keep that place that he's reserved for us in heaven. And of course, that is a dangerous attitude 
to have because it's not far from there to become like the Pharisee about whom Jesus told a parable in Luke 18. The one who went up to the temple to pray and this is what he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Of course, his problem is not a lack of service. He's working hard to be holy. His problem is he thinks he's made it. And the tax collector right next to him hasn't made it because he hasn't done enough for God. But of course, we can never live up to God's goodness or holiness. Jesus is always loving and generous, and we're not, however hard we try. Serving to be good enough is an attitude that either leads to pride and arrogance because we think we are good enough, or if we think we haven't done enough, to doubt, to misery and failure. But fortunately, that is not what Jesus is looking for because the passage continues in Luke, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus explains the parable and says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is not expecting us to serve him in order to be good enough, but to come to him with humility, acknowledging our need of his service for us. Another wrong motivation is to get something in return. And the classic example of this is, of course, the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son, which the S Club were looking at this morning. Uh, and outwardly, if you compare the older son with his younger brother, this is the one who's the good guy, isn't it? Um, he's a loyal, hard-working, compliant son, not like his brother who's totally ungrateful, just takes his money and goes off and wastes it. But when his younger brother comes back, then we see the real heart of the older brother. And instead of joining in the celebrations of the return of his younger brother, the one who's seen the error of his ways and come back and ask for forgiveness, what does he do? He goes off on a strop. And his father comes out to him, he pleads with him, and this is what he says. He says, look, all these years... This is the son talking to the father. I've, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now what we see here is actually that the, the older brother is not much different from his younger brother. They both just want their, their father's money or gifts rather than a relationship with him. They just have different ways of trying to get it. The younger brother just demands it and goes off and wastes it. The older brother wants to make his father feel that he actually owes it to him because he's really worked so hard for it. Now, we might not serve God in the church or in other situations uh, to get any financial reward unless of course you're a pastor um, but we may expect something from God 
You know, if I'm serving hard week in, week out, if I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, then surely God will grant me what I want. Surely he'll give me good health, success at work, an easy home life, answers to my prayers as I want them to be answered. But we can't manipulate God as if he was some sort of pagan god to whom we make sacrifices to ensure we get a, uh, a good harvest or a safe journey. God is a person. He doesn't give us blessings in proportion to our service. What he's most pleased about is a heart that serves him out of love for him. And that means, that, and this is hard to take, that actually if our attitude is wrong, our service can be sinful. If our attitude is wrong. Well, thirdly, our motivation can be wrong if we seek to pay him back. Now, if you're anything like me, you don't actually like being in debt to anyone. If someone has bought me a drink, I'll be quite keen to make sure I get them one back. Um, if I go out for a drink with a bunch of blokes and we put uh, money into the kitty, as we often do, um, they'll usually get quite a few pints out of that. Um, I'll be going slowly and uh, won't get my money's worth, but that doesn't bother me. Now, you could say there's a positive side to that, of course, being generous, isn't it? But there's also a negative side to it, which is pride, isn't it? Pride says, I don't want to owe anybody anything. I'm no man's debtor. But that is actually, if you think about it, quite disrespectful to the person who's given you something and doesn't actually expect anything in return, doesn't want anything in return. And it's the same with God. If we are serving him in order to pay him back for what he's done for us, that is actually quite insulting to him. It assumes that what he gave us, he did begrudgingly, and he won't actually be happy until he gets something back from us. We can be grateful for something we receive, but it can lead to two different responses in our hearts. In both cases, it can lead to a desire to serve, But it may be a desire to serve motivated by love, which is great. Or it can be a desire to serve motivated by a feeling of indebtedness, which is wrong. One is about God. The other is about me, making me feel better because I'm less indebted. Think about a situation where a man has been guilty of adultery and his wife is prepared to forgive him. As he sees the the love and the kindness in her character, he might be filled with gratitude and love for her and a desire to serve her in love. Or it could motivate him to serve her out of a sense of guilt, a need to repay her for her willingness to forgive him. He's doing good things, but actually they're not really about her. They're making him feel better. Now, it may have been quite a subtle difference, but actually it's quite a huge difference because if we serve God to pay him back, as well as making our service about us and not him, we are acting as though we can do something to contribute to our forgiveness. And we're also acting as though God hasn't really forgiven all of our sin for all time, but he could change his mind at any moment. Acts 17 says this. It says that God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. 
and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need our service, and if we somehow imply that he does, then we're on the wrong path. So, three wrong motivations, but let's come on to the right motivation. And let's go back to the passage in Mark 10 and keep that open for us. Have a look again at verse 42. Jesus is calling his disciples together. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. But then comes the killer punch. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The title that Jesus uses of himself here, Son of Man, was also used in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, where in Daniel's vision, uh, we are told that this person, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Daniel says his his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the Son of Man. This is God. This is Jesus. He's describing here a mighty king who made all things. And it's a big enough surprise to think this Son of Man could um, come into the world in the first place. Somebody who's in charge of everything that he made. But if he is going to come, then you would expect him to come and expect those people he's made to bow down and serve him. But he says, he did not come to be served, but to serve. Which is an amazing thing, isn't it, if you think about it. Think of how Jesus called his, um, his disciples, called him to follow, follow him. It's tempting to think, isn't it, that um, maybe he just needed a team around him um, to do his work. A bit like a political party, you get a team of, uh, of canvassers to go out and uh, canvass for people to vote for the party. Or a school needs a, a team of governors to govern the school. A sports club needs a committee to, to make it work. Oh yes, eventually Jesus' disciples will go out and proclaim the gospel. They will heal people. But the main reason that Jesus calls them to follow him is for him to serve them. He's going to teach them some, some amazing things about himself. He's going to perform some amazing miracles which will demonstrate that he is truly the Son of God. Things they will never forget. And ultimately he's going to die. He's going to come back to life in order to reconcile them to the Father and give them eternal life. All of that depended not on them serving him, but on him serving them. Our salvation depends not on us serving Jesus, but on him serving us. Jesus came not to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On holiday, I managed to, uh, to read Nelson Mandela's autobiography, which is called The Long Walk to Freedom. I don't know about a long walk to freedom, it's certainly a long read to 
before I reached freedom. All 750 pages of it, but I wasn't going to be put off by that. But it is quite a remarkable story. Nelson Mandela was prepared to die so that the black people of South Africa could have freedom. He faced the uh, possible death penalty, but was given life imprisonment. And in the end, it was 27 years of freedom that, uh, that he sacrificed. Others did die for, for the cause. But the freedom they obtained was the freedom of equality in this life. Freedom with white South Africans. Freedom to vote. Freedom to go where they, they wanted. Freedom to, to marry who they wanted. A freedom from those who had acted as their enemies, who wanted to lord it over them. Many who had brutally repressed them. Now, they may have many types of freedom now, but do they have freedom from fear and violence, insecurity? Do they have freedom from corruption and uh, poverty? They don't, do they? The freedom that Jesus achieved as he gave his life for us was a greater freedom. It was freedom from sin, freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the, the penalty of sin that we deserve. And one day, freedom from the ongoing presence of sin in our lives. Jesus paid the price so that we could avoid eternal death. Now, you may sit here and say, well, I I know all that. I know he's my saviour. I know he's my Lord. I know he came to serve me. And yet I've still lost the joy in serving. Well, the question what I ask is, do you really know deep down in your heart that you are loved by God? Do you fully appreciate how God expressed that love to you? Or do you feel maybe there's something in you which is just not lovable? And maybe when you've dealt with that, um, then he might be prepared to love you. Or once you've achieved something good for him, something you're working on, then you'll feel more comfortable that you are lovable. The key to serving God with joy is to love God. And we'll only love God if we appreciate his love for us. That he showed his love by dying for us when we were still his enemies, when we were still sinners. Let's turn um, to, to Luke chapter 10 before we finish. Luke 10, 38, the um, familiar story, I'm sure, to many of the Jesus visiting the uh, home of Mary and Martha. This is an incident where Jesus came to serve Mary and Martha. He came to visit them. I don't know whether it was unexpected, knocked on the door, suddenly there was Jesus. Um, But he came to serve them. But Martha felt a burden to serve him. Now, maybe she wanted to impress him. Maybe she she felt indebted to him. Maybe she knew who he was and felt obliged to to serve him. But Mary realized that Jesus was there to serve them. He'd come to teach them, to teach them things that would be of benefit to them. He'd come to allow them to get to know him as the Son of God. Which is why he said to Martha, very gently, Martha... Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. 
but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The one thing needed there is not to serve Jesus but to be served by Jesus. And if we truly understand and appreciate his service for us we will serve him out of love. We didn't see Mary serve Jesus here, but we can be sure she would have gone from that meeting with Jesus with a desire in her heart to serve him, knowing how much he loved her. Well, we can, as we finish, read this and think, well, okay, I need to make sure I read my Bible, come to church, pray, sort all that out, and then serve. But of course, all of that can be done out of our own motivation as well. Because in all we do in our lives as Christians, as we work, as we play, as we worship, as we witness, as we serve, we need to keep coming back to the cross to remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. Focus on that act of love. Focus on his kindness and pray that he would fill us with a love for him and give us the right motivation to serve him. Let's uh, have a moment of quiet to um, just to think through what um, we've been hearing. Think about the attitude of our hearts to, to our service and think about what Jesus came to do. Father God, we praise you for the many people who serve in this church, the huge effort there is in serving in this church and outside the church. But we do also acknowledge that each one of us is guilty from time to time of, of losing that joy in serving you, of adopting a wrong motivation for, for serving and you know our hearts you know deep within us and you know where we get it wrong and we pray that you would reveal that to us and Lord we do pray that you would make clear to us just how much you love us just how amazing a sacrifice it was for Jesus to come and, and serve us and Lord as we think of that act of service Lord Fill us with love that we will want to do anything for, for Jesus. And we will want to do it with a real joy in our hearts. There will be nothing that is too hard for him. Lord, make us a church that is uh, full of joyful service, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.